I think, in which my English teacher had us write a, a paper in which we kind of wrote what our future would be. Like, write out our future plans, write out the uh, expectations of kind of what we saw over the course of the next year. Because, as he said, all of the major life decisions, essentially, that we would face, we would face, you know, in the next ten years or so. And I remember writing out in that paper and writing with a confidence that I was just certain of. You know, like, this is going to happen, and I'm going to go to school here, I'm going to accomplish this, I'm going to become this, I'm going to marry her, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But I don't know about you guys, but my life didn't turn out a whole lot like that English paper. My life has faced some twists and some turns. My, my story has went through some potholes, you know. Some struggles, some, some difficulties, some, some opportunities that I, I didn't foresee, some, some hardships that I didn't foresee. And for all the people that I have met, and all the people that I have talked to, this seems to be the common experience. That for most of us, our lives don't become as we plan them to be. Our lives don't become as we intend for them to be, do they? Think about you. What were your intentions? Maybe you intended to go to college, or you intended to go into nursing school, or you intended to start your own business, but they never really moved past intention. Maybe for you there were circumstances that happened in life, things that you couldn't have even determined, like, like your, your marriage just didn't go quite the fairy tale path that you anticipated. Maybe your husband or your wife left this earth much sooner than you could have ever imagined. Maybe once you had children, they, they brought hardship and struggle and tension into your home in a way that you couldn't have anticipated. Maybe there was a sickness or diagnosis. But the path of your life changed. The plans of your life changed. They were altered. Maybe it was an unforeseen opportunity that if in your wildest dreams you would have never imagined that this door would open. Like you were going to go to school, you were going to do this, you were going to become this, but then this door opened over here and so you went through that door and you developed passions you didn't even know about when you were 18 years old. Your plans changed. And they were different than you thought they would be. And I wonder sometimes... Because that is the common experience for humanity, because that is the common experience for, for all of mankind, I wonder if sometimes we don't project that onto the Lord. I wonder sometimes when we hear about the will of the Lord and we hear about the plan of the Lord, if sometimes we don't just stop for a second and just wonder, is there really a plan? Is there really a plan? Because if I'm, I'm transparent with you, there are some things going on in my life. There are some struggles that I've hit, some potholes that I've run through. I wouldn't have written my life that way. And then you just kind of stop for a second and just say, God, is that really the plan? And if there is a plan, maybe we wonder, God, is it actually going to play out the way that you say it is? God, is it actually going to end up in the place that you say it's going to end up? Are we actually going to arrive at the destination that you say that we are going to arrive at? Because just in my life, I haven't seen it. 
you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 2. To Luke chapter 2. This morning we're going to skip over the first seven verses. And then we're going to come back to them on Christmas morning. A unique opportunity this year with Christmas morning actually being uh, on a Sunday. So we're going to have the opportunity to gather together as a church family and just walk through that story again and, and, and have a family gathering before we have our family gatherings, right? A unique opportunity. So would you stand with me as we read a story that is familiar to you, but is just as glorious nonetheless. We're going to begin in verse 8, and we're going to go through verse 20 this morning. God's inerrant word says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying And praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his inerrant word this morning. You may be seated. When we come to Luke chapter 2, we are coming to the turning point in scripture. We are coming to to the place in the Bible in which the story is approaching its climax. We're coming to the place in which all of the Old Testament has been preparing us for and the prophets have been pointing us to and the the stories have been preparing us for. And what do we come to? We come to the birth of a baby. An unassuming birth. A birth that seems to be just another peasant baby born to another peasant couple living out their life in the outskirts of the Roman Empire. It's a quiet night, an unassuming couple, and the baby is born. And what's facing us this day is the same thing that was facing Luke's reader some 2,000 years ago. What will we do with this baby? What will we do with this baby? Is this just another baby? Is this just another peasant baby born to another peasant couple? Is this just some fanciful story of man that was elaborately told so that we would get, have some kind of emotional day and then go about our lives? Or is this baby God? That's the only response that we have this morning. This is either just another baby 
Or this baby is God himself. Luke, I keep wanting to call him Matthew. We've been in Matthew a while, so I keep wanting to call him Luke Matthew. But Luke believed that Jesus, the baby that was born, the baby that was lying, wrapped in the swaddling cloths, cozy down in the hay of a feeding trough, he believed that he was born and placed there according to the plan of God, in fulfillment of the will of God. And so what I want us to see this morning from Luke, from Luke 2, is I want us to see three different ways in which, which Christ, in which Jesus makes known to us, reveals to us, unveils for us the plan of God. The first thing that I want us to see this morning is that Jesus was God's plan to bless all people. That Jesus was God's plan to bless all people. I want you to place yourself in the story for a minute. Imagine being there on that night. Alright, so, so the shepherds, you have a, a group of shepherds, they, they, typically, uh, they typically tended to the flock in the springtime of the year when the, when the babies were born. And so it's highly likely that uh, December 25th is not like the day that Jesus was born. It's just the day that's been set aside by the church to celebrate that. But you can just imagine, so on this, on this cool spring night in Palestine... You have the shepherds, and they're just outside the city tending to the flock. So apparently they've, they've all grouped together and come together. And so I imagine that there was uh, some kind of campfire right there in the middle of all of them. And they're probably like really tired, borderline delirious, on the edge of sleep. You ever been there? You know, like everything's funny. Everything's, everything's just the greatest thing that you've ever heard in your life. And so in my mind, I'm, I have them, and they're, they're gathered around this fire in a circle, worn out from a day's labor, kind of eating something, whatever they could get their hands on, telling salty old shepherd stories. Probably eating shepherd pie. You know, that makes sense. And so the shepherds are there, and they're hanging out, and they're borderline delirious when all of a sudden, the brightest light they have ever seen breaks out across the darkness of the night sky. A, br- a light so bright that they have to deflect their eyes and look away from it because they can't stare directly at it. Coming out of the light, they see the most fearsome, warrior-looking creature that they have ever beheld in all of their existence. Living as men of the field, they had seen crazy things before. They had seen perhaps lions before, or bears before, or great predators before. But they see this creature, they see this being, and they are immediately overcome with fear. I'm sure unsure if what they see is some delirious imagination, figment of their imagination, or in fact if it is real. They, they back up and they cry out. In fear. And coming from the midst of that light, this fearsome creature, the most fearsome creature they have ever seen, calls out to them, Fear not! Fear not! I have good news for you. I have good news. I bring to you a story of great joy. I bring to you good news of great joy. I bring to you peace, not war. I bring to you encouragement, not fear. Good news to you. 
most fearsome creature they've ever seen, the most mighty creature they've ever beheld. And he comes, and you know what he says? I'm just a messenger of one much mightier. I'm just a messenger of one much greater, one much bigger than I, one who has sent me to tell you about some good news, that I bring peace, I bring good news of great joy for all people. For everybody. For everybody they knew, for everybody in town, Everybody on the outskirts, we know in Luke's mind, Luke is the author of Acts that tells us the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. So certainly that's in view, that this is even for the Gentiles, this is even for the non-Jews. And so right here, in the middle of a field, the light and the glory of the Lord is shining across the darkness. And he is looking down at these men saying, I have good news for every man, woman, boy, or girl. not insignificant who he tells. Now let me ask you, if you're writing this story and you have this kind of news, you're the Lord, that's a scary thought, right? But just go with me for a second. And you're you're writing out what the future will be. You're writing out actually down in your 11th grade paper what's actually going to come. Is this how you write the story? Do you write the story of the angel of the Lord going to a group of shepherds at the end of a long day and telling them about the Christ? You're probably going to go looking for a Baptist preacher at least, right? Maybe even the Baptist preacher of the biggest church you can find to go and say, this is what the Lord has said. Maybe Billy Graham. You're going to find somebody that you consider to be a man of God, right? You're not going to shepherds. It's not insignificant who it is that the Lord reveals these things to. The Lord often speaks to us through his scripture symbolically, through the the people that he uses and through the things that he uses. Now we can take that to a dangerous place, but I think it's certainly in view here. See, shepherds in Jesus' day didn't have the most stellar of reputations. They were, they were notorious for going in the middle of the night and stealing sheep from a flock that was not their own and just adding it to their own flock. Further, they were mostly withdrawn from the religious activity of the day because why? They were dealing with unclean animals and they were dealing with dead animals, so they were unclean for worship. So they're mostly withdrawn from all of the religious activity of the day. They're notorious for going and swiping all of the uh, swiping sheep that are not their own. And I'm not saying that these particular shepherds have done any of those things because we don't know. But what we know is, is that as a group, they were not trusted. This, the, the, the shepherds of this day were like the lawyers or the used car salesmen of our day. Like, I know some of them are good guys, but I don't trust very many of them, you know. And yet, this is who the Lord calls on to be the key witnesses of his work. This is who the Lord calls on to be the key witnesses to his sending of his son to the world. They are the ones that he is going to use to testify on his behalf. Lord, couldn't you have found a priest somewhere? Couldn't you have found a scribe somewhere? Couldn't you have found somebody that at least goes to church? 
No, the Lord came to notorious sinners. Because that's who the Christ came for. Jesus came so that there could be good news to the most notorious sinner you know, which is probably yourself. We don't like to think of ourselves that way very often. We don't like to consider ourselves to be notorious sinners, but we are. Some of us are perhaps too self-righteous to agree with that. Perhaps some of us are so filled with shame that we can't even believe that Jesus would come for us. But yet, he goes to the shepherds saying, I bring good news for all people. I bring good news for the most notorious of sinners that I am going to bring them peace. And peace in this passage is not this warm feeling that you have in your heart. It's not this, this good, good mood that you get in, you know, like on Christmas Eve or something. Peace here is talking about peace between man and God. The one who was once an enemy of God is Romans 5, but now has access through the Son to become a child of God. That kind of peace. See, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is at this party. And it's kind of like the who's who of sinners. It's like the who's who of notorious sinners in all of town. And he's hanging out there and he's at Matthew's house, who's a shady guy, hanging out with all of Matthew's tax collector posse and all of the, the less than virtuous people that Matthew spent his time with. And Jesus is just hanging out. And the religious establishment of the day is flipped on its lid. And they come and they begin to wag their finger at him saying, you dine with sinners. Do you remember Jesus' response? Jesus said, it's not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. That's me and you. That's all of us. And I know some of you are saying, Cody, I, you I don't know what my past is. You don't know what my story is. You don't know about my infidelity. You don't know about my promiscuity. You don't know that I have aborted one of those masterpieces that you all talk so much about. You don't know about the thoughts that I've had running through my mind. You, you, you're just a preacher. Like You can't even imagine. I would make you blush if I told you the things. That I think. You don't know that my whole reputation is built upon how wild I am. Or how mean I am. Or how tough I am. Yeah, Jesus came for sinners, but he didn't come for this one. And what we're seeing at the very beginning of the gospel of Luke is that you, you have good news from the almighty God that he came for you. Whatever your past is, whatever your story is, whatever your sin is, however notorious you are as a sinner, he came for you. He brings you good news. He brings you the opportunity of joy. He brings you the opportunity of peace between you and God because he is bigger than that. He is mightier than that. He is better than that. But for those of us that have received it, for those of us that have known the grace and the mercy of our Lord that way, for those of us that have, have, have received the good news, and by the way, the, good news, the, the way the messenger sees it is beautiful. 
He says this with the very word that comes to mean the word evangelism. Going with good news. You see, the kingdom of God is coming to us in evangelism. Coming to us in good news. So just as Jesus came to us, the most notorious of sinners, now we, his church, those rescued sinners, those now children who were in him, we go to the notorious sinners in his name. One of our core values here is to dine with sinners. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about inviting the most notorious of sinners into our homes for a meal, for kindness, for gospel opportunity and gospel conversation. And understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the notorious sinners that live in Mountain View. I'm talking about the notorious sinners that live in Grandview. I'm talking about the notorious sinners that live in Pine Hill and work at Honda and Southwire, that play basketball at White Plains and football at Cleburne County. You smile because you don't think of them as notorious sinners, but they are. The question I ask you this morning is, do you believe that we have good news for them or not? Do you believe that we have good news for them or not? Do you know the posture that I believe and I fear that too many Christians have taken? In fact, too many of us have taken in this church family is yeah, but. Do you believe that Jesus came for all sinners? Yeah, but I don't think he's going to save that one. Do you believe that Jesus came so that the stay-at-home mom that lives beside you can be saved? Yeah, but I don't think she will be. Do you believe that Jesus can overcome the most, notorious, the most notorious sinner that sits around your lunch table at work? Yeah, but I don't think he'll be saved. We've justified our laziness. We've excused our laziness. Because the truth is, is we don't really believe that Jesus is going to save those people. Do you believe these words or not, brothers and sisters? Do you believe that Jesus can save a tax collector? Do you believe that Jesus can save a notorious sinner or not? Do you believe when you look in the mirror that Jesus has saved you? And if you do, why are you not going? Why are you not going as he came? We serve a missionary God and serving a missionary God, we are a missionary people. When was the last time you just invited somebody to church so they could hear the gospel? I've read before that 80% of people say that if somebody would ask, invite them to church, they would actually come. 80%, that's 8 out of 10. But we say, yeah, but he probably won't, right? When was the last time at your workplace that you had some kind of spiritual conversation? When was the last time that before your co-workers you just gave God credit for something good that happened in your life? What, when was the last time before them as you walked through the valley of the shadow of death in your life that you said, yeah, but the Lord has me. The Lord is holding me fast and gave testimony to the goodness of God. When was the last time you told somebody, you know, you and I have been friends for a while and I love you. And people that I love, I just need to know that they're right with the Lord. Have you ever given your life to Christ? You would be surprised by how few people are offended by that question. Jesus came so that the most notorious of sinners might be saved, namely us. 
And now we are sent in Jesus' name to go to the most notorious of sinners, to dine with them, and to invite them to the gospel. Church, will you go? Will you go? Will you go with them and say what the angel has said in our passage? I have good news for you. I have good news for you. And Jesus came and he revealed that the Lord, he was God's plan to be a blessing to all people. Secondly, I want you to see that Jesus was God's plan to display his goodness. That Jesus was God's plan to, dis- to, to display his goodness. So you have the angel. And he's, he's come forth and he's, he said, you know, from the midst of this lie, like, I have good news for you. That, that, that there's a Savior that's been born. The Christ has come. The Lord is here. He's lying in a manger. He's covered in swaddling cloths. But man, he's here. He's here. And the next thing that happens to me is spectacular. It's like the heaven is so overcome with the good news. It's like heaven is so overcome with just this testimony of the goodness of God, this testimony of, of God's faithfulness, this testimony that God has done what God has said he would do, that heaven can no longer contain the praise. And so the, the floor of heaven is peeled back, and in the midst of that light, that light join a multitude of heavenly hosts, and over and over and over they're saying, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Can you imagine being that overcome with the goodness of God? Can you imagine how how big the goodness of God is when heaven can't even contain the praise? Matter of fact, our passage begins with the praise of the heavenly host and it ends with the praise of the shepherds. And from praise to praise in the passage, we are given over and over and over examples of the goodness of God made fully known and put on full display by the having come Christ. Think about just the titles that are used here. Think about just the titles titles that are given in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're given three different titles there, aren't we? The first title that the angel of the Lord uses is the title Savior. That this is the one, that this baby lying in the manger is the one that the Lord has sent to save his people. He is the one that will deliver them from the hands of their enemies. He is the one that will overcome their sin and overcome all of the things coming against them. Overcome, in fact, their own rebellion. He is the one that will grab them and snatch them from the fires of hell. Men, women, boys and girls, teenagers. He will snatch them out and save them. He is the one. That can take those who are owed the wrath of God as the enemies of God and save them and bring them as children of God to receive the reward of God and to know his immeasurable kindness and riches for all eternity. Not only does he say that he's Savior, though, he says that he's Christ. He's Christ. Now you understand that this is not Jesus' last name. That Jesus was not married to uh, was not born to Joseph and Mary Christ. And so he became Jesus Christ. 
You laugh, but you know, you've thought it before. No, Christ is a title. It is the New Testament word for the Old Testament Messiah. The word that talks about the anointed one of God. The one sent by God in a fulfillment of the plan of God for the good of the people of God. This is the one, the Christ. He is the one that is the offspring of Eve that will crush the head of the serpent. He is the one that is the seed of Abraham that will be a blessing to all nations. He is the one that is the son of David that will reign on the throne of David forever to the good of his people and to the good of his church and to the perseverance of his kingdom. He is the Christ. He is the Christ. He is the manifestation of generation after generation of the promises, the goodness of God. Fully manifest. Maybe though, it's the last title that gives us the clearest picture of God's goodness. Because not only is this the Savior, not only is this the Christ, this is the Lord. This is the Lord. This was the Old Testament way of referring to God. This is the Lord. And so when, when the angel goes and he's speaking to these Jewish shepherds, and when Luke is writing to these, his Jewish audience as they're beholding these words, then what they know that he is saying is that this baby laying in hay is none other than God himself. That he is the one that John says is the, was the word that was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh. Now think about this. God is owed every praise and glory in all of the universe. Even the heavens speak to his handiwork and lift high his name. He is owed the surrender and devotion of every creature, of every kind, of places you and I cannot even imagine. He is the owner of wealth and riches that you can't even begin to behold. He has lived forever in a Trinitarian community of perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect solidarity. He sits on a throne and which... All day, all night, every day, every week, they are all gathered around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the one that if your eyes were to behold him, it would incinerate you on the spot because you cannot look on holiness like that. And here he is, has to have his chin wiped. His diaper changed, has to be fed by his mother, cared for. He's not even born into Roman, uh, Roman prominence. He's not born into a Roman palace. He's not born into a royal family. He's born to a young teenage woman that everybody thinks is unvirtuous. He's born to a young teenage mom who has no room in the inn and has to lay him in the middle of a feeding trough. See, the Savior came as a servant. Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself of his divine rights, of his divine pleasures, so that he could take the form of a servant, so that he could know your struggle and my struggle, 
so that he could face temptation like you've faced and like I've faced. So that he, he could experience heartbreak the way that you have heartbreak and the way that I have heartbreak. And not, not pretend feel heartbreak, not like Superman feeling heartbreak, like as a human being feeling heartbreak. He came so that as a person, as a baby, as a human, he would grow into a man that could become a willing and able sacrifice, substitute in our place to receive the penalty and the wrath of God that we were owed. This is the Lord, and the Lord is laying in a feeding trough. Do you not see the goodness of God, church? Is our God not good? I know some of you are struggling right now. And I know things in your family aren't where you, you want them to be. And I know things in your life aren't as you would plan them to be. I know that if you could do things differently, you would. But in the midst of all of that, can we just pull back the floor of heaven for a second and say, but God is good. But God is still good. In the midst of that, God is good. In the midst of anxiety, God is good. In the midst of depression, God is good. In the midst of fear, God is good. In the midst of dissension and tension, God is good. Our God is so good that he's the one that will come as a baby, lay in a bell of hay to die on a cross and as our substitute. That's how good he is. So the question becomes, how will you respond to his goodness? How will you respond to the goodness of God? Will you respond like the crowd or will you respond like Mary? Do you see the difference in their responses? The shepherds go to them. The shepherds testify to them. They, they tell them of all, that they, of all that the angel of the Lord. And you just got to believe, man, there's a glow to the shepherds, right? Like, they're not just coming up and saying, hey, you know what? We just wanted to come see, but we heard there was going to be a baby right here. And there it is. Man, they just saw angels. They just saw a multitude of heavenly hosts testifying to the glory of God. And then they go, and they come upon the baby, and it's exactly as what was told them. Now look, if you're chilling, camping out by the creek, and you have that experience, there's going to be a glow about you. So they come, and they're testifying. They're testifying to the goodness of the Lord. They're testifying to the presence of the Lord. They're testifying to all of these things. And it says that the crowd that is there wondered. Wondered. Did a lot of... Of, of study on the word wondered here this week. And what it, what it means is they were filled with an emotional amazement. They didn't understand. It, it, there, there wasn't a lot of a depth to what they were saying. And they, 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 but they were, they were filled with, with some kind of amazement, some kind of, of awe for just a minute. But probably as soon as it came, it went away. It was shallow. Most likely these shepherds went about their, not these shepherds, this crowd that heard the testimony of these shepherds, went about their lives completely unaffected and unchanged, having had an emotional experience with this baby and the testimony of these shepherds. But Mary was different. It says that Mary treasured these things. The word treasured here means to, to store up in, in, uh, in awe, 
to store up in amazement, to, to put it in your heart, the, the treasury of your heart, the storehouse of your heart, these testimonies of the Lord, these things that you're witnessing, these evidences of the goodness of God, that, that Mary stored them up in her heart and she pondered them in her heart. She savored them. She visited them over and over, time and again, filling herself with just awe and wonder and appreciation and love and passion for the glory of God. And we know, we can say unequivocally, that Mary went about her life completely and utterly changed because of it. How will you respond to the goodness of God this morning? Is this just another Christmas day service? This is another Advent service. This is another time that you've heard about the coming of the, G of the Christ. This is another time you've heard about the shepherds. You've done the deal. You know the story. Blah, 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 blah. Or is this even just a time when you're going to hear about the goodness of God and maybe be filled with momentary amazement, but then you're just going to go to Cracker Barrel and be unchanged by it? Your life won't look any different. You'll be no less likely, no more likely to sing out in worship. No more likely to commit your life to being a devoted follower of Jesus. Are you like they are? Are you the rocky soil that, that the seed of the gospel falls in and springs up for just a minute but dies as quickly as it comes? Or will you be like Mary? Will you respond as Mary responded? Will you treasure these things in your heart? Will you, will you add them to the storehouse of your heart so that as you go through your week and you go through your day and you go through your struggle, that you can recount to yourself the goodness of God and be filled with amazement yet again, be filled with awe yet again, be filled with worship yet again so that your tone can change and your life can change and people can be affected by the gospel through you. In other words, will you be like the good soil to which there is depth and roots and fruit? How will you respond to the goodness of God this morning? The last thing I want us to see about Jesus that Jesus reveals to us in God's plan is that Jesus was God's plan of action. Of action. That Jesus was God's plan to bless all people. Jesus was God's plan to put on display his goodness. But even beyond all of that, that Jesus was God's plan of action. Can you imagine how long the Jews had waited on the Messiah? How long had they waited? Generations. Century upon century. The Lord had promised all the way back in the garden that he would make a way. Centuries, millennia had, had passed by. No Messiah, no Messiah, no Messiah. We want the Messiah, we're optimistic about the Messiah, we're hopeful for the Messiah, and yet here we are in the middle of exile in Babylon and no Messiah. You can imagine that in their minds they're maybe beginning to wonder, is our God really the God? Maybe they're even beginning to wonder, like, if our God is a God, maybe he's a God that is subservient to greater God, that, that he may have a plan, but his plan, even though he has good intentions, cannot come to fruition. So they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and the baby comes. 
Emmanuel, God with us. He comes. Showing that our God is not just a God of good intentions. Our God is a God of action. That he does what he says he will do. That he fulfills the promises that he makes and the prophecies that he gives. He comes through over and over, people of God. He comes through. And the coming of the baby was the testimony of the actionable plan of God. The actionable will of God being fully manifested in fruition to the people of God. This is our hope, church. How long? If you've been a Christian in any period of time, how long have you heard about the second coming of Christ? How long have you heard about the second coming of Christ? Perhaps you've heard about it and you've heard about it. You've probably heard abuses of it. Time and again you've heard about it and now you hear about the second coming of Christ and you almost just glaze over, don't you? You almost roll your eyes with indifference because you say, yeah, he's probably coming, but he ain't coming now. Maybe he's coming. Everybody keeps saying that he's coming, but I've never seen him. Do you see him? So the preacher gets to that point in his sermon and you just, you just shut it down. But you know what we learn here? Our God is a God of action. And if he came the first time, we can have assurance and certainty that he will come the second time. That Jesus' first advent assures us of Jesus' second advent. In fact, Jesus' first advent gives us what we need as the people of God that we might persevere in the church, persevere living as sheep among the wolves until the second advent. As I was reflecting, I told you you guys last week that the, one of the great joys of this series has been we've been able to partner with our, sec, our sister church in Lot Street Harvest uh, Baptist Church. And so Pastor Josh and I have been, kind of been a sounding board to one another um, during sermon preparation. I'll send him a thought that I have and he'll correct that. Uh, and then he'll send me a thought that he has and I'll give counsel of some sort to that. And, uh, but you know, I, I was asking him what his thoughts were about how Jesus' first advent spoke to his second advent. And you know what he said? He said, you know, Cody... I just can't get past that everything about Jesus' second advent will be opposite of his first. That in this first advent, Jesus comes to us, but in the second, we're going to go to him. In his first advent, he comes as a small, lowly baby, but in his second, he's going to come as a mighty warrior. In his first, he comes as a humble servant in total humility. But in his second, he is coming in victory and vengeance. The church will know its victory utterly and totally and eternally. So church, stand fast. Stand fast. The Lord has not forsaken us. The Lord will come through in his action. The Lord will do what he says that he will do. And so as your Bible study lessons talked about this morning, as you walk through the struggles of life, as you walk through the offenses of life, as you face the persecutions of life, stand fast because your king is coming back. You won't have to be here very long. You won't have to endure very long. 
you're going to get through it. So your marriage is struggling, stand fast. Your kids are rebelling, stand fast. You might lose your job over who you are, stand fast. You're scared because of the opportunities for gospel presentation, stand fast. Stand fast, church. Because God's plan is good. And God's plan is proven. And God's plan isn't finished. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.